Welcome to the Black Moose First Podcast. I'm your host, Alton Jamison. I've made the journey from having an incarcerated father to becoming an engineer to transitioning to a professional speaker and author. And now I am the founder and chief chess player of Black Moose First. Black Moose First is a company that offers chess boards and accessories, apparel and personal development products that empower people like you to change the world one move at a time. In the game of chess, white pieces always move first, which is an advantage, and the black pieces move second, which is a disadvantage. Black moves first is more than an oxymoron in chess. Instead, it calls for people to strive for success, even when the odds are against you. To strive for success, even when you may not have the advantages of others. Our motto is, changing the world one move at a time. This podcast explores the stories of how people have overcome adversity to make their own moves and change their own world, whether in the game of chess or in the game of life. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Alton Jamison with the Black Moves First podcast, episode 11. Uh, So thank you so much for your support. If you haven't yet, please Subscribe to this podcast, download this podcast, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can follow us on social media, as well as you can view us at our website at www.blackmovesfirst.com. So today I have a wonderful guest that I would consider not only a man of God, but a friend, uh, a, a wonderful brother, uh, Reverend Dr. William Smith. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I know that I probably met you, uh, you know, maybe when you're 18, 19. And I tell my wife this all the time. I say, you know, one thing I know about Will is that Will is one of the few people that have been laser focused on what they have been called to do since Jump Street. Like when I first met you, I think it's sort of spirit Bible study. I, I even went with you one time where you were looking at pastoring a church. I think you, I don't know if they call it an interview, audition, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But yeah. I even went with you to a service, and um, I said, ever since I met you, you always wanted to be a pastor or knew, should I say, knew that God had called you to be a pastor. So share us a little bit about your background and where, where did all that passion come from, brother? Yeah. Well, first, it, it came from the Lord. Um I, you know, as I as I think about it, and I often um, uh, think about that that time you came uh, <laughs> as I was a, a candidate, and I, I think about the fact that you know, wow, life changes and you grow a whole lot um, in ministry. Uh, but I often think about that um, because um, you know, uh, it, it's times like that that helps to affirm who you are, you know, and it just shows um, the whole aspect of you know. Uh, brotherhood, um, being able to support one another in um, uh, making that next move in their lives. Um, but I, I just knew um, and when the Lord called me uh, uh, into the ministry, um, my pastor was uh, very, very um, instrumental in making sure that, hey, the Lord didn't just call you to preach. The Lord is calling you into ministry. And you need to know what ministry the Lord is calling you into. And I specifically, when the Lord uh, called me, I, I knew that the Lord was calling me into uh, pastoring. And, um, and, and so from that, that, that point, I knew that every move I made, every decision um, uh, 
was in the area of being a pastor. How can I be an effective pastor? How can I be the best pastor? Uh, being around other pastors, learning and growing uh, so that I can live out uh, fully in, in God's call. Yeah. That's awesome. When did you start? Uh, how early did you start preaching? I started uh, preaching at uh, 17, 17 uh, officially. Now, unofficially, <laughs> I was preaching about 14, uh, uh, you know, uh, doing youth days, doing other things. Um, but, you know, officially uh, 17 preaching. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just it's just something I, I think that has come natural. It's come natural. That's that's awesome. And I've seen you evolve, you know, over the years and your pastor. And now can you share with everybody uh, about the ministry you're at now and where you're pastoring at now, if you don't mind? Yes, I'm in the Midwest now, <laughs> Kokomo, Indiana, uh, Second Missionary Baptist uh, Church here. And I've been here for six years. Um, so just wonderful ministry here. Uh, very community focused uh, ministry and uh, just just a loving, loving group of folks. And this, you know, I know I've one thing that I've seen and I'm pretty sure you uh, have as well been, you know, right in the trenches over the past, you know, I guess, what, 12, 16 months or so, you know, the, the country has experienced a, a pandemic, as they say. And regardless of the political aspects of it, and regardless of everything else of it, I know that it has impacted ministries and churches. How have you seen? Uh, what has this pandemic done to the church? Well, there, there are two sides to, um, you know, a, a, as I think about the pandemic, I always think about, of course, the uh, COVID-19. Um, but I also think about the other uh, pandemic of racism that we just uh, can't forget that um, because um, it has just reared its ugly head again. And um, so and, and what's uh, different is that everyone has been at home and you 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 were glued to television and watching um, this this happen. So, you know, and as 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 a church, it has caused us to think differently about ministry. What really matters? For instance, when we're planning worship, it's not about, you know, we're going to do what we've always done. And and, and those kinds of it's it's what's it most important. Um, what is it that is most important uh, for our worship experience? Um, because now we're engaging uh, persons virtually. And so it's, it's you know, uh, for years, uh, many of the experts have been saying, hey, churches, you need to gear up, get ready for virtual ministry. And the church had to quickly change. For us, we had to, in one week, switch over into a virtual platform um, and you know it just it just has, has caused also the role of the pastor to be so so different producer now where they need to need to be but uh, you know it's it's just it's just amazing it also has opened the door of the church to outreach and to do ministry um, in a different way and to reach so many individuals. Uh, one of the uh, one of the core um, values of our church is intergenerational ministry. So um, one of the, the beauties is uh, watching seniors now that, hey, I don't I, I wasn't up on Facebook, but now they're on Facebook because that's where the church is or they never had a reason to go on the church's website. Now they're pulling up Bible study lessons and other information. And so and, and how did they learn their grandchildren or some child or even they've come stop by 
my office and, you know, I'm showing them, navigating with them on how to use technology, using Zoom, those kinds of things to have meetings. And so it's just been a way for the church to just really live out its call and being the church, being the church, being here for in individuals. Um, and here at Second, we also have a community development corporation. So addressing even community needs that, you know, you find out that individuals, you know, are hungry during these times. They're suffering unemployment, uh, other issues and situations. And so that's where we can also allow ourselves as a community-focused ministry uh, to provide ways and feeding the hungry. Um, we're about to do a vaccination uh, clinic now. Um, so it's just allowing the church to just live out its call and and helping individuals um, to 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 fulfill the purpose that God has for them and to realize that, yes, our building is um, full on Sunday or was full on Sunday. <laughs> but it, but there's much more work for the church to do uh, all the way from Monday to Saturday. You know, I think, uh, you know, Dr. Smith, I think you said a lot of a lot of key points. What I have seen is that. You know, as as the as I say to little kids, you know, you got to pee or get off the pot, right? And I think that's what happened with churches, where I seen some that on one end they were already had that virtual platform going, so it was an easy shift. I seen some, like you said, had to you know make that transition literally in one week. You know, I, mm -hmm. I remember, you know, because I was I remember when things started to get real weird around March 11th. That was my birthday, and next thing I know, two days later. My whole family was back home. My wife was at home. My kids were at home. Wow, Just wow. like that. Everything yeah. had changed. Just like two days later. And so what I've also noticed was that I think Rick Warren, you know, Pastor Saddleback talked about was that the churches who haven't been able to adjust are the ones who found out that their whole ministry was revolved around worship service. And mm -hmm. so now they're, they're realizing now that uh, it has to be more in worship services. Even, even I've even known pastors who were slow to technology and said, you know, they kind of, they came to that conclusion that, you know what, <laughs> fight or flight. So we, we, we got to get, get on it. Yeah. yeah. Pastors and, and, never seen social media. Yeah. And I, you know, as a pastor, I remember, um, I, I just had this, this, this passion of, Hey, I just want to focus on the word of God. I want to really build ministry help folk grow in Christ, um, even developing strategies to just meet people where they are. And so now it's just like, okay, as pastor, I had to navigate, okay, what kind, what are the best platforms to be on? What are the best times to be on? Um, how do we need to imagine um, um, uh, doing ministry? Uh, what kind of posts do I need to put out there? Uh, pastoral care is at a whole, whole different level. Um, because as a pastor, I'm not just caring for those who are in the church or members of the church, but also now caring. How do I develop messages or produce something that there's someone who would never walk through these doors, but they just need to know that uh, there is purpose in their life and that there's an opportunity for them to um, live out um, as a Christian. They, they may have never thought about being a Christian, but. Um, how do I how do I lay it um, firmly who I am as a Christian, who others are as Christians and, and, and just helping them to grow? Yeah, and I think the blessing is, too, uh, you know, obviously I'm not close to Indiana, but, you know, I get a Facebook notification now that your church is about to go live. Mm -hmm. and so I was like, oh, let me check out the service. So I think it's been a blessing where 
I now get to hear, not that I'm, you know, running and listening to everybody, but sometimes when, you know, you want to hear a positive word or word of encouragement, you got so many different notifications now, yeah. social media and other platforms where you can hear, uh, like I said, a familiar voice, or other people, you know, where you normally would not have heard, right. heard from what type of messages do you or do people need during this time? You know, what type of messages have you been preaching over the past year? They need uh, first off, they just need to uh, to know um, that there is hope. There's hope um, in the midst of uh, these hopeless situations. They need to know that there is hope. The other piece is they need to just know. And and I spoke of the other pandemic. You know, um, you know. We need to hear a word. What what helps us as as God's people? What is what helps us as a people um, to just know that hey, God is right with us in our struggles. That you know, when you hear about another um, black man being shot or a black girl, I mean, this this gotten bad. You know, when you hear about these shootings, um, it, it just makes you think. Well, you know, what it what. You might not even know the person, um, but it's just this connection of, hey, that could have been me. And so individuals need to, um, they need healing. They need to be able to have platforms just to express, um, just to share, just to have understanding. And I, I think that that's where the church, we have the real answer as, as the church. Um, and I think that sometimes we focus so much on, um, you know, teaching a Bible study and those kinds of things where sometimes hey, we just need to be real and just have conversations about racism. What is racism? Why uh, does it exist? And what have you been thinking? Um, and because we need healing. We, we, we're never going to heal unless we are, are able to um, express uh, what we're going through. And I feel that, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I've talked about racism, but even, you know, with the medical side, healthcare, you know, we have, have been faced with a challenge that like never before. And so how can we heal past this? Or, how, you know, there are individuals who are scared. There are individuals who still will not get out of their houses. They're having groceries delivered to them. They are in a moment of anxiety. And so it's that, you know, being able to pick up that cell phone and to hear a word that, hey, everything's going to be all right, that the Lord is right there with you. You know, I even look at the, just the special opportunity to just call out individuals' names, um, you know, in prayer um, and, and, and their prayer requests, as well as when you see them coming in. It just makes a, a powerful difference because individuals feel like, hey, I am somebody. I am somebody and there's somebody who's thinking about me and, um, and, 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 and thinking about the potential that exists in me, even when I wasn't thinking about myself or even frustrated and in a, a state of panic. You know, I think you, you bring up a lot of, a lot of points and I definitely want to chat with you in a second about some of the racial aspects of what's been going on and ministry wise. But I noticed, especially over the, I had a, I had a, a doctor in psychology on a couple of episodes ago, and she talked about, you know, just over the past 12 months, uh, just the mental health issues that have arisen. Um, and even in a you know, minority population, all the populations, you know, whether it's now, you know, divorces have increased, you know, now both husband and wife may be at home and you really got to find out if you like each other. Uh, the, right. the moment, you know, moment right. the government starts shutting this down and you can't yeah. do that. 
can't do this. It's a test. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you find out if you really love her and she really love you and can y'all manage or people dealing with anxiety as never before. Um, but the question I have for you is where does, how can pastoring and ministry gel with like mental health? Because I know that in the past, you know, growing up is that, Yes, Jesus is the answer for everything, and you don't need anything else. But now I think we've come to learn that you got to have Jesus, but you also can have some other things to complement that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are, what are well, your thoughts on that arena? Well, I always look at it like this. Um, sometimes I think that we allow Christianity to be so closed um, when um, the opportunity of even when Jesus uh, sends words of affirmation to folk, spends time listening to folk. That's counseling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, we we, we miss the, the aspects of, of, of that. And I think sometimes we're we're thinking uh, there are Christians who are counselors, who who know the word of God, who know who Jesus is, and they are, are are able to not only just share with us the word of God, but also from a standpoint of, hey, they have studied. Uh, our minds understand who we are as human beings to help us that we might fulfill and 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 and, and live out um, God's God's call in us. And so I think that you know sometimes we uh, you know it's it's like this. You need a team. You're not gonna make it without as a pastor. You know um, I, I, I you know I can preach and 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 I remember growing up. You know oh that's all you need is the word. Even if the choir don't sing, as long as you got <laughs> the word. But, you know, but I have a team. I have, you know, staff, secretaries that that are helping and doing um, um, ministry. I have individuals who are, um, you know, musicians, singers, you know, you know, now, you know, with the live stream, you got camera operators, audio operators. You got a whole team that works in the background um, to, to help make worship happen the way it needs to happen. Well, even as an individual, I need a team. I need it. I need a medical doctor. Yes, I need to go to the doctor. You know, and I think that, you know, and 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 if anybody is watching and you haven't been to the doctor in 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 these uh, uh, over a year, you need to go to the doctor. You need to be seen. Um, it's it's time for you to really, you know, even if you just do a virtual visit, because you need uh, to make sure that uh, you are taking care of this physical temple, but also the mental. Um, um, aspect that, you know, pressures of life, you just, you know, sometimes, you know, if you got a good counselor, they just go listen. They're not trying to tell you what to do. And they may guide you in certain situations to think, but really what it, it, all it is is to guide you and helping you to make the decisions or to think through your, your life. And so I think that, you know, it's, again, you need that team. You need that medical doctor. You need that, uh, you know, those mental health professionals. And as pastors, we need to help folk to understand that. You know, I, as a pastor, I, you know, I limit how many times I, I counsel persons about the same issue because I, I, I am limited. But there are professionals who have gone through school, who also know the Lord, and they can provide aid and assistance to individuals so that they might have a uh, holistic, uh, better life. Yeah, I think you just raised some good points. You know, sometimes we may have a tainted perspective, right, because of our experiences. And 
as a result, we're going to read the Bible with that tainted perspective. We're going to look at Jesus mm -hmm. with that tainted perspective and how we view our faith. And so I, I agree with you that those counselors, doctors, all of those things, what they do is just they help clear up our perspective. You know, like you go to that eye doctor and he say, can you see it? You say, no, and then he click, 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 click. Oh, there yeah, it is. Yeah. I know A-G-S-K. And I think that's yeah. what uh, all, all of the people do on your team. Uh, so, Reverend Smith, the, the question I want to ask you now, um, I know the past, in addition to the pandemic, epidemic, whatever you want to call it with COVID, but I know in the past, you probably could say four years, but the past four to eight years, this racial political climate has been off the charts. Right. Um, I actually was um, uh, my buddy's doing a webinar today on the rise of nationalization and polarization in the uh, the church. I'm a, I think I signed up for it. I'm gonna try to get a replay if I can't get on it. But, I, you know, we you seen this stuff from, you know, the top all the way down to the bottom. Um, what are your thoughts uh, from your seat of all the things that have been going on these past four to eight years, should I say? But definitely the past four years. Yeah. Uh, one of the first things it, it reveals uh, to us that, you know, um, there are many things that have not changed. Um, and I think that, you know, we we have to remind ourselves that we can't um, get comfortable. Um, it also they're at the core of all of this for me. I'm always an advocate and I'm just, you know, and I'm encouraging every family um, to do um, to learn your history. Um, if your child is not learning it at school, teach it to them. Teach the whole history of America. There are many who are trying to quiet that down now. They're trying to say, hey, we, you ought not teach about slavery. And it's a part of the history. Now, you know, and I think that what we what we try to do is, you know, uh, cover it up. But, you know, as Christians, we know, hey, you're not supposed to cover stuff up. And that's also a part of that Christian nationalist that uh, movement that I'm not understanding. It's like, wait, when you are getting saved, when you're giving your life to Christ, you're supposed to what? Confess your sins and what? He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But as America, we are scared to really confess our sins and just to talk about it and just be real about we have messed up. And I think that, you know, that it just brings core. It, until we resolve that, we're not going to get anywhere. And again, going back to just knowing your history, one of the projects that we're working on here in Kokomo, um, our church was blessed to be given um, the old um, segregated school, Douglas School here, named after Frederick Douglass. And so we are uh, restoring that school and in the process of doing so, so that it might be a museum and cultural center to make sure that our children, making sure that the community always knows the full history. And I, you know, and I'm grateful here that this is just a small bit, but you know, um, you know, school teachers can can make a, a, a difference. There, um, you know, individuals just can make a small difference in your community of teaching your history. And if we all just did that part. I think that it would aid in helping us to get somewhere because I think that the uh, understanding is that, well, it doesn't exist anymore. Well, but even if, it, even if you feel that way, can you just admit that this is a problem? And if we can't admit that, then we'll never get anywhere. You know, you said, 
you said a lot. You know, for about four years, uh, my wife and I, we used to be kind of mentors and facilitators for this African-American Jewish program. And we would, uh, it's a year-long diversity program. We would take uh, 10th and 11th graders, Jewish, half Jewish, half African-American, and basically take a year teaching them about their history. Wow. And I've met, um, you know, I've been to Ellis Island. I've met, um, you know, Holocaust survivors and, and doing this. And one thing that I learned from the Jewish population is that there are believers that if, if, if we teach you your history, you'll never let it repeat. Wow. And one and one thing they would always do, I mean, every Jewish child, regardless of the economic background, you know, most of them spent their first all the way through sixth grade going to Hebrew school. And they would go, they would learn Hebrew, they would learn about Jewish culture and history, and then they may matriculate to some of the other schools in the area, whether, whether it be public or private. But all of them... I probably I haven't met one that didn't. All of them knew that, hey, my grandfather came to Ellis Island or they came out of Germany. They came. They all knew their history and mm -hmm. my grandmother. And they just knew it regardless if they were good kids or bad kids. They knew their history. Mm -hmm. And with us. We didn't know anything about our history. Right. Well, one 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 black guy said, well, I didn't even know racism still exists. <laughs> and that's how and that's how bad bad it was. And one of the girls that I remember, uh, she went to Harvard now, but she was so well versed in that history, a black young lady, because her parents were professors at Elizabeth City and they taught her history. And one thing that I have seen, especially in the African-American community, to your point, and even its climate, is that we don't know our history. Right. Right. And and if you take away Martin Luther King. <laughs> Rosa Parks, <laughs> cut out sports all together, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then ask them to talk about their history. They're stuck. They're yeah. stuck. And that's that. I, I go ahead. Yeah, I mean, and and you hit on a great point. Uh, family history, just family history, you know. And it, it's just you know. And, and again, we'll, we'll take kids to the uh, Disney World. We'll take them to a theme park. But can we at least just take them to a museum? where they can just have conversation. I remember, you know, um, that was just powerful experiences for me. And um, the, the one uh, individual that could constantly, I think about, is the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. I've always had a passion. Um, if you came in my office, you'll see a number of books and, and even Ebenezer, the great Ebenezer Church. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, it's just this, um, because it, it reminds me constantly um, because of that, I see how the church did so much to impact us as a people in the midst of a powerful movement. And so I just look at, you know, again, it reminds me of the beauty of the church, the work that the church can do, that we as people of God. But, you know, it, it also starts back at home. Often, you know, the, the first institution that God created was the family. And so if we don't even know our family history, you know, we don't even do the family reunions and all of that like we used to. Right. Um, and, you know, um, I think that, you know, COVID has, has taught us, brought us to the place that, hey, we had to live in an uh, area together <laughs> and be real close, uh, where many times we were so going in this direction, that direction. But it also reminding us, reminded us of family. I mean, you could have family that was here one day and gone the next. Family is important. 
Yeah, I agree. You know, one of the things that, you know, I, I have, you know, learned, I grew up, my pastor, you know, he, he walked with Dr. King and he drilled in that civil rights. And, you know, we had a chance to meet the Ro Rosa Parks and Coretta Scott King. And those things have drilled into me. Um, I heard you preach, I think a couple of Sundays ago, you're talking about foundations. Mm -hmm. And you made a very interesting comment because it made me think about my kids. It said, uh, two people can grow up in the same house, <laughs> yeah. with the same parents, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and, you know, get the same message, but do two different things. Right. And I was like, bro, he, that, that, that alone was a mouthful. And it made me think about the church that with the rise of, you know, nationalism in the church and how it's become so, you know, polarized. It's amazing that we both go to the same church, you know, on a larger platform. We both know of the same Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yet you got people who are seeing the same videos and same people getting shot at same issues, but yet their perspectives are totally different. You know, why, why, do, you, why do you think that? Because I know I have colleagues, white and black, and I just want to, you know, I got I got colleagues who are, or even relatives who are black, who are way on the other end of the spectrum, you know, mm -hmm. politics and other stuff. And I'm like, you know, come on, cause I know we looking at the same, <laughs> the same video, the same comments, but yet they see and hear two different things, but we're all in the church. Mm -hmm. I, I think one of the, one of the key uh, pieces is that we got to be open to change. Um, I have to say that in the last, I would say the last two and a half years that God has been breaking me as a pastor. There are, there's so much embeddedness. There's some stuff embedded in, in us, you know, from, from our past experiences, from, you know, educational experiences. And, you know, one thing I've learned is that, you know, when we when we talk about the inequalities, I also have to recognize that sometimes I'm a part of the problem. And sometimes we don't want to own up to that. You know, I think about, you know, I was, I, I, you know, I haven't seen um, any problems. Uh, you know, I'm just recently finding out that there were times that, you know, we didn't have <laughs> because I always saw um, that we, we we always progressed. And I'm also realizing that I was blessed to be able to achieve an education, had individuals who were in the village helping me um, to, to achieve and to be where I am. And so, and, and, and constantly in my mind, it's, it's just this thing of, hey, I've got to always be thinking about others. And I think that that's sometimes why we as Christians can be at so different ends of the, uh, the spectrum because we're looking at, hey, you know, I got mine, you get yours kind of kind of attitudes instead of, hey, we need to be a community. We need to live out in, in, in this aspect of being a village that if you hurt, I'm hurt. So let's talk about why you're hurt. We don't want to have those those kind of conversations because we, we want to, we're right. I know what I'm talking about instead of, you know, realizing that, hey, we, God created us to be in relationship with one another and to realize that, hey, sometimes we're different. Look at Jesus. <laughs> there were individuals, you know, religious individuals who were claiming he, well, he's not the Messiah. What's wrong with y'all? 
<laughs> you know, and so we still have that problem that individuals, uh, just, they just don't get it and they are blinded by their own embeddedness. Yeah, I think you, you know, you said a lot there because what, what I think, um, you know, one thing that I'm learning in the, in the body of Christ, I read a book, should I say, I'm going to say that first. I read a book uh, or heard a guy make a statement some years ago that leaders speak last. You know, he talked mm -hmm. about leaders speaking last. He says, you know, you let everybody else talk and then you figure out if it's worth saying something. And what I've learned now over the years is that a lot of times when people are speaking and saying stuff, they're saying it out of emotion, they're saying it out of feelings, and they're not really, they want change, but they want change to, to look like the way they want it to look. Right. Um, you know, in other words, I've had people where I share my experiences as an African-American male, you know, whether it be with police or a father or instances with my son, et cetera, and people will say, well, don't be bitter or just move on from those or Jesus covers all so that, you know, people want to diminish, <laughs> you know, your experiences. Right. And they want to focus on going forward. And I think a child, the part of that, I think what we have to do um, is people have to, like you said, be open enough to have healthy dialogue with people outside of, you know, yourself. I remember um, a former coworker of mine, uh, he's a white male. He invited me. He did a six-week series on uh, white privilege mm -hmm. at his church. And his church was probably 105% white. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what I, I mean. It was really white. <laughs> it was really white. Yep. And, uh, and so he invited me in. And it was about, I mean, this was a big church. I mean, you know, they got 45, 50 people and one Sunday school class, right? Big church. Mm -hmm. And I sat there and I talked and I shared my experiences and they asked real questions. Everything from the N-word to uh, the Confederate flag um, to what? Kaepernick kneeling. Uh, to one guy asked me, is it okay if I can call a black guy brother or not? I wasn't sure. <laughs> but <laughs> but it was, they allowed a space. He created his, first of all, it was risky for him to even do something like that. Right, right. Uh, but he created a space where they allowed another African-American to come and share my perspective on some of that stuff. And, right. and to me, that's what that those type of conversations are powerful more than just us holding hands with a, a different color brother and sister and walking around singing lift every voice. And, you know, we meet every now and then for the task group that never mm -hmm. does anything. Um, what, what do you think the church needs to do more to start heading in the right direction to get away from, you know, being so married to politics? Uh, having those conversations. I think sometimes we, we think and we forget that uh, part of our ministry is if you can't get along every day in this world, you know, why do we why do we feel like, OK, Sunday is is, is just going to fix everything? No, <laughs> we got to have these conversations about who are we as the people of God? You know, I, you know, I, I just look at, you know, as a part of my life, I have had experiences of having um, individuals who are white. And there are some brothers 
who or, and sisters who have not because of where they lived or you know those kinds of things. I have, and so I, you know that I come from a different perspective sometimes in, in in talking. But I think if we can just have conversations, healthy conversations, and I always say that it starts with the pastors. If if pastors are are open and willing, there are there are a number of pastors that I've reached out with um, to here. Um, we we have a, a group actually that got started um, in last August called Grace Relations, where we talk about racial issues here in our area. And so as we're, we're, we're dealing with that, there's some pastors who have fallen off because they, I don't, I disagree because y'all are trying to look at the, the past and we got to look at moving forward. Well, hey, you'll never move forward if you don't, again, acknowledge and, and, and all uh, and my basis constantly is the word of God. That's just my foundation. You know, if we don't confess, then guess what? There won't be any repentance. We, we, we got to confess. We, they, we, they, there'll never be salvation. We got to confess so that salvation might come. Salvation um, can only come if we are willing to just confess that, hey, so what is the issue? That I didn't know that hurts you. Well, if it hurts you, then I need to stop it. Well, you know, yeah. and ignoring it won't help. Yeah, I think what people miss is your past is really a foundation for your current actions. And, right. you know, when you when you go to counseling, what does the counselor ask you about? Yes. <laughs> you know, your past, right? When, when a couple comes mm-hmm. to marriage counseling, what right. does the person ask them about? Okay, well, tell me what happened in the past, right? Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, <laughs> The past is such a foundation to fix what's wrong in, in the present. And, and I think that's what a lot of people miss and it makes them uncomfortable because in order for us to go forward, they want to forget the past and just st- start a clean slate. But it just doesn't it doesn't in no way it works like that. If you know me being an engineer by trade, if you struggled in algebra you didn't get those principles, you're not going to make right. it in calculus. So it's not right. wise for me to just move you to calculus too, <laughs> mm-hmm. when you still haven't learned, you know, stuff back, back here. And I think that's where we gotta get to. <laughs> basic math. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we got to get to as a church where, um, yes, you may not have been the one that put us in slavery. Right. Right. You know, right. but it's okay for us to have, difficult questions, right? You know, and, and have those difficult conversations. And as well, we got to, and, and the African-Americans, we got to ask ourselves the difficult questions, right? Yes, right. they're racism, but we're killing ourselves. Right. right. <laughs> you know? yeah. we're, we're not taking care of our responsibilities. So right. I, I think that's so critical. Yeah, it works. It works both, both ways. I think that, you know, it's, it's the whole uh, constant uh, self-evaluation, self-evaluation. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I feel like for, um, you know, when we're dealing with um, just being sensitive, mm-hmm. um, when we're dealing with racial issues, it's just being being sensitive. You know, I often think about the fact that, you know, um, even in our space, you know, many times um, individuals are looking to me and, you know, asking me questions. I'm often sharing with them. I'm like, hold up. Now, when I say certain things, it's not um, I'm not speaking for my whole race. You need to build relationships. And, right. and so that's a whole nother issue as well that, you know, it's just like, you know, who do you have around your circle that is not like you? You know, I, I look at, you know, God has blessed me. Uh, you know, my wife and I, the Lord has blessed us. You know, who is it in our, our circle that may not be at the level that we're at? Who are we helping? 
Who are we um, encouraging? And then also, who are we not looking down on? Because sometimes we, we constantly feel like if somebody may not be making the same amount or not look like us, that they're doing worse than us. But actually, they could be more contented, happier than we are <laughs> just yeah. because they're secure. And so that that's just key. Uh, this self-evaluation, uh, taking a look at yourself and why you're saying or doing what you do. What do you think, uh, Pastor, you know, what are some of the adjustments the church will have to continue to make as we go into the future? Because I, I can't speak for you, but it definitely seems like ministry and church is going to evolve, continue to evolve to some level. What are some of the adjustments you think will continue to need to be made? It will continue to um, it will continue to evolve. I think that one of the biggest things is like right now we're we're finishing up our digital strategy as a church um, and how we move forward. And one of the biggest things that I've put in that strategy is constantly thinking about and reevaluating how often will we evaluate this? How often will we take a look at this? Um, and I think that that's what the church has to do, that if we really want to make an impact, we have to always reinvent, reevaluate, reimagine uh, who we are. And, and just I, I think that what we're going to really see is that the church church's impact is not going to just be on Sunday, but right. the main work of the church is Monday through Saturday. And I think that we've really that that's key. We've got to hone in on what can we do to make an impact? throughout the rest of the week uh, so that persons might um, be encouraged and blessed and also come to know who Jesus is. And so I think that, that that's key. We also have to understand that, hey, yes, salvation is our goal, but we got to think differently about that, that, hey, how are you going to save someone's soul and someone, you know, is, is mentally um, uh, not, not, not saved and stable? And so right. we, we just got to think as, you know, they're, they've got no food. So we've got to look at salvation that, you know, right. we we got to save folk from racism. <laughs> that we got to save folk in the neighborhoods killing one another. We got to save folk from stealing from one another. You know, it's just it's, it's just amazing to me that, you know, a neighbor will steal from another neighbor and then and, and just, you know, not care. <laughs> not care. So, you know, we, we really have to reimagine who we are as a church. And I, I just pray that churches will really spend that time, pastors and, and church leaders will just constantly think about that, that, you know, hey, what is it that else that we can do? What What's new? What's new? What's available? And not let the world dictate, but let's develop stuff that, you know, we can get in, in, in charge and develop programs and you know, have social media platforms um, that, that make a difference. You know, I think, you know, obviously, you know, at Black Moves First, we talk about uh, changing the world one move at a time. And chess, as you know, is strategic. And I think that mm -hmm. going forward, the church has to be strategic. I, I know a lot of things that um, we love about church, you know, sometimes as pastors and ministers, you know, we love to, you know, putting on the garments of the big convocations and conferences and you know, getting around our, you know, brothers and sisters, right. you know, other cloth. And some of those things may not be the same anymore. Right. And and what I wanted to ask you is that I noticed that some churches, not all, um, I've seen some churches uh, giving go up during this time that I'm aware of. And then I also know some churches 
uh, giving went down and some kind of just stayed the same. But I've met several churches. I even know a church that's, that's building a whole new building during this time. Yeah. What yeah. are some things for the churches who've been impacted economically? Um, what are some things that they need to look at or consider to how to generate more revenue in addition to the giving um, from the people and encouraging people to give more? But are there other things that churches can do to maybe make up for lost revenue? Yeah, I, I often and, and it's a part of our uh, plan for the Community Development Corporation. I'm often looking at how can the church survive, not just on ties and offer, but how can we have a business model um, that, you know, we're, you know, we're building the houses and the houses, you know, and all of that income. And we've got investments um, enough that, hey, even if we don't collect anything on Sunday morning, we can survive as a church and do the work God is calling us to do and not be strapped because that's, that's, that's a burden. Every pastor will tell you that, Hey, if the difference is low or, you know, you got to think about what, what bills you've got to pay and what you can't, that's stressful. That is stressful. And it takes your mind off of doing the real ministry. And so I think that that's very important for churches to, to, to think about. Um, I always look at, um, thinking about it and, and stewardship, the whole concept of what is stewardship. Stewardship is bigger than just um, giving. When we're talking about giving uh, financially, that's, that's a part of it. But stewardship is what am I doing with the life God has given to me? What am I doing with, with the gifts? What am I doing with this time? And I think that we really have to, you know, even as the church, um, how are we utilizing the building? You know, we got this big building and the only time it might be open is on uh, Sunday morning. What else can we do? Can we partner with the local school and, and say, hey, we'll, we'll, y'all can uh, bring the kids in for after school programs because the school system, they've got some grants and funding that they can use for that. And so it, it, we, we've got to, again, reimagine and think about, think outside of the box of, you know, how can we allow these spaces that, you know, are, like I said, empty most of the week? How can we now utilize them? I mean, we got some beautiful buildings, some large classrooms <laughs> that are just wasteful spaces. Um, and, and, you know, and I always think about it, too, that we've seen clo churches close during this time. And so sometimes we, we, we have to, you know, I always look at, too, sometimes there's a blessing in that closure because it offers the opportunity that, you know, maybe that, that, that ministry, you've lived out what God has called you to do, but there are other things that can happen with the, with that space or, uh, you know, with the, the congregation that those gifts can be connected to another uh, local church and you can just uh, reimagine and do some great things. And so, you know, we, I think we just really need to think constantly about what's next, what's next. You know, I think about uh, I, even in my industry as an engineer, uh, we have a, I know we have an expensive piece of equipment that constantly cuts parts. And one thing to know that we're getting our money's worth, that piece of equipment needs to be running from the moment we get into that building to the moment everybody leaves. Because that's the only way that, that if you hear that machine running, then you know that, hey, we're getting worth out of that equipment. And we're not losing money. It's not sitting there. And I, I liken that to the church that often we got a big building 
Right, right. And it's only running on Sunday and maybe do a little something on Wednesday. Got a little meeting here every now and then. But I look at it as, hey, you got a space, which is in itself, there's so many things you can do with that space. You know, I mean, it could be something from a, you know, mothers, a preschoolers program, addiction program, Spanish, English lessons. But to your point, I think a lot of times churches, you know, initially get overwhelmed, but you have so much space and classroom and resources. A lot of people do. And instead of allowing your building to be empty, um, like you said, utilize that space, partner with somebody who just got a grant, but don't have the room. Right. Right. (laughs) Partner and use all of those things, too, because as you said, what I've learned, even, you know, kind of when I even talked about even my book on finances is that when your mind is on money or paying these bills, whether you're an individual or leading a church, it really blocks you from being able to hear from God freely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it gets the way it's like, you know, I hear you, God, but it's it's 430 and I need it by five o'clock. Yes. And, and so I think that's what and I've met a lot of entrepreneurs recently to say, hey, as even and I even say this to the people in congregations that as the more you become successful by having God based businesses and other things that allow you to be able to sow more into the church so that the church some of that overhead costs can be solved and, and they can focus on, you know, being productive, being profitable in a way that they can do more ministry. Right. Um, you know, right. and it's a blessing to men and women of God. So they don't have to raise money for every initiative that they want right. to do. Um, and so I, I definitely agree with you on that, sir. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I'm, I'm looking outside of, uh, of, of our building and it just a uh, thought just came, you know, why not during the summer have kids uh, or even various families in the church take a plot of of the land and hey grow something? Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. not? Do that? Um, you know we we have some food deserts around. I mean you know let's let's feed the hungry. You know there, there's no one should be lacking. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Um, one last question for you, sir, and I would be remiss. If I didn't, if I didn't mention your wife, yes, yes, <laughs> she, yes, she yes. so uh, the fabulous boxy first and last lady. In I like that the fabulous boxy <laughs> first. I like that's a good one. Uh, like I heard one brother say, she's the uh, she's the water in my wet, <laughs> <laughs> and she's the courage of my encouragement. I was like, man, we got. I, I love that, but uh, for, uh, your wonderful wife, uh, first lady Denise. I've known you all both for, forever, it feels like, but in a good way. Um, mm-hmm. Would you share with us maybe a little bit about, uh, you know, how long you've been married and kind of the things that you all do together in ministry? Yeah, I've uh, been married for 16 years, um, happily married for 16 years. Now. I want to make That's sure. Right. Um, <laughs> God, God has just blessed, it, blessed um, me with a, a gifted uh, wife. Uh, she actually leads the, she's the executive director for a um, homeless uh, ministry here in Kokomo. And so they have a couple of shelters and they're just doing some amazing work. And so, you know, even during this uh, COVID, um, this pandemic, um, they were able to open their doors and to help folks that did not have a place to go and they needed to be quarantined. They had a place to go. 
And so, you know, I always think about those kinds of partnerships that, you know, when we talk about, you know, when you live out God's call in your life and she stepped on faith and, and living God's call and leading that organization. And I just think about the ways that, hey, well, how we can partner and taking persons from just being homeless to maybe buying a house, maybe, wow. you know, and, and, and so it's just just a blessing. And then when you have a partner in ministry that also uh, has a heart for the women in your congregation, you know, I can speak to the men and I can speak to the women too, but it, it does something different when your wife um, is able to minister and to help and to support. And and so I, I thank God for that. And and pastors, I just encourage uh, you and your wives, y'all are partners, um, you know, pray together, encourage one another. This, this work is, is it's tough, <laughs> but, it, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, again, it, it, let's never diminish the power of what prayer can do. Because I, I feel the prayers of my wife. <laughs> I feel them. You know, I would say this, uh, you know, it, we're about to wrap up in a second. But I would say that you know, your wife, I remember meeting, you know, I'm going to say first lady, respectfully, Deneen, I don't know, many years ago when she came to our Sword of the Spirit Bible study. And she would come faithfully. One thing about you and your wife Y'all have always just been your spirit and just your passion for the Lord has always been consistent. You know, Denine, I, I would say, first lady Denine, excuse me, I would say he's always been like a gentle giant. And she would, she first started on that keyboard. So she's playing the keyboard. Then she started mm -hmm. singing praise and worship. Um, and it was just like her, the keyboard, and just maybe a couple of songs that she was singing. And then as I transitioned out, uh, being the president of Sword of Spirit, I remember Deneen, or First Lady Deneen, I apologize, was our first president. And I never forget, and this is the day that I gained even more respect for your wife, is that I would come to the leadership meetings and First Lady uh, was, you know, Deneen at the time was, was leading the leadership meeting as a new president. And I kept saying stuff or interjecting. And and I said, Denise, do you feel like I'm overstepping my bounds or too involved? And she said, yes. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> and I said, you know what? I appreciate that. And I'm going to put a weight on my neck and I'm going to fall back. And I gained a lot of respect for her because I hit a lot. But it just let me know that, you know, in so many words, listen, if you trusted me to do this, <laughs> mm -hmm. then you need to let me do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I've been in this ministry long enough uh, and I know how you you know want things to go, but you got to give me space to do it like, you know, God is leading me to do it. And mm -hmm. I just want to share that story because uh, you all have been just such a wonderful, consistent uh, couple. Uh, and I know on a big level, all pastors say my wife, my wife, my wife, and then behind the scenes, they, some of them, talking about their wives and not treating their wives. But I will say that even behind the scenes that uh, when you say, Pastor Smith, that you have a great wife, I definitely echo that, that, you know, that First Lady Deneen is a wonderful person. Mm -hmm. And I think you all make a wonderful, a wonderful couple. And so I'm congrats on the 16 years, brother. Well, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you and your wife, Deshonda. I mean, y'all have been a blessing. Even this, uh, your, your whole series of the Black Moves first, I mean, it just opens the, the heart and the mind that, hey, we, we, we got, the, this is risky business. And, and right. it's time out for us to, you know, thank and 
uh, you know, oh, I'm going to pray about it and pray. Okay, we got to do something because, uh, you know, uh, our neighborhoods are failing. Um, we're failing our own communities um, as, as, as individuals. And so I just, I thank God for you. And then also the whole uh, concept of, of the value of money. I mean, I, we could have a whole session just about <laughs> that, that, you know, just understanding the value and, and you know, just because money is, is important in, in our lives. And, you know, if we don't know how to manage it, it, it will cause cause some major, major problems. So I, I just thank God for you. I thank God for this space to be able to share. Amen. Well, Rev, Dr. Smith, I appreciate your time, brother. This has been, this is everything that I wanted and more. I just wanted to hear from a man of God about what we're going through in these times. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, as you said, we got to evolve, we got to adjust, but don't forget that there is hope. And I think that's, the, that's the message that we got to walk away with. But God bless you, sir. God, uh, again, we will get you on again in the future. And God bless your ministry and your marriage. God bless Amen. you. Thank you. Thank you again for your time today. And remember to subscribe to our podcast rate our show and share with others. You can also view us on the web at www.blackmovesfirst.com. My final charge to you is what move will you make today to change your world? Stay positive and I'm your host, Alton Jameson.